Hi, friends. Just a quick note before we jump into this week's episode. Instride is brought to you by Ride IQ. Ride IQ is a first of its kind equestrian coaching platform that will transform your independent schooling rides. Ride IQ members get access to the private mobile app with hundreds of on demand listen while you ride audio lessons, top by top eventing, jumper, and dressage coaches. And since you like podcasts, the Ride IQ app also includes over 100 exclusive podcast episodes to keep you company during your hack your commute, your barn chores, or whatever it is you do while you listen. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a two-week unlimited access free trial. Get started by downloading the Ride IQ mobile app on iPhone or Android. On today's episode of In Stride, Sinead talks with Linda Pirelli. Linda was born in Singapore to a Scottish father and a Swiss mother. She moved to Sydney, Australia with her family when she was 12 years old and got her first horse the following year. Linda's first job as a young adult was as the education director for a French skincare and beauty brand. Linda has called herself a learnaholic, and during the 12 years she held that position, she was also studying accelerated learning methods and personal development programs. Linda's return to horses came in 1989. She was in her early 30s, and she had a hot thoroughbred named Regalo, who led her to sign up for a clinic with American cowboy Pat Pirelli. In 1993, Linda moved from Australia to the United States, and in 1995, she and Pat got married. They traveled throughout the U.S. and Canada giving clinics and ultimately co-founded Pirelli Natural Horsemanship. Pirelli Natural Horsemanship became a worldwide brand and phenomenon that paved the way for the natural horsemanship industry. After three decades together, Linda and Pat went their separate ways, and today Linda is co-founder of Happy Horse Happy Life Training Program and the Pegasus Personal Growth Program. Sinead and Linda are talking about finding inspiration and living with intention. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right. I am so excited that we have the Linda Pirelli joining us today. I have been, you know what, Linda, it's really funny because I feel, I mean, I feel like we're friends and I still, it took me like two more weeks to get the nerve up to text you a second time oh about God. coming on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had chat about it before and then you were like, yeah, absolutely. And then I knew it was just my job to follow up and I still get these like fangirl like should I text her oh now what if she gosh, says no I'm so flattered <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I am beyond uh happy that that you made this work today because I do know that you are a very 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 busy lady um so so you are here you're in Ocala now all year round is that right yes that's right Yep. And where, where are you? And I'm over in Citrus, so where, where are you? Yeah, I'm in Williston. I'm in Williston. So I'm 10 minutes from WEC and mm -hmm. five minutes from the town of Williston, like just off 27. So it's a really nice location. Like I'm, I'm close to everything, but I feel yeah. quite secluded. It's not. Yeah. It's yeah. actually kind of nice down here because there's a few hubs. I kind of feel the same way. It's, you know, it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes to all the big stuff, but it's just far enough away that you're not kind of in the middle of the traffic and the, you yeah. know, because it is getting kind of crazy down here. Yeah, especially at certain times of the year. Oh my God. <laughs> is this your first summer or have you been here a couple of summers? No, last summer. Last summer last was summer. my first summer and it wasn't bad, yeah. you know, and you know, people said, well, you just have to ride early. And I thought, oh, my God, what does that mean? 5 a.m. or yeah. <laughs> maybe I better move, you know. Um, yeah. But I found that, you know, if we 
are pretty much done by 10. So if we start mm-hmm. around 7.30 or 8 and just, yeah. you know, are economical and we don't, and it's good because it makes you not do too much with your horses too. You know, it's kind of short, yeah. sweet, successful, and you're out of it, you know. I, you know, I kind of like it because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I did spend a few winters up north and it was, I mean, like stuck in an indoor and you're kind of, you know, you're not getting much done. And here it's like, you, like you said, you've got to be efficient about it, but it does give you a little bit of a break. You know, you only have you know, 20, 30 minutes. You can't take as many walk breaks because they don't actually cool down. And, um, and then yep. you get done and you get to go <laughs> do something else for the afternoon, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. it actually worked, it worked great. And a lot of my work, you know, looks like this anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, it, I get more done actually in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's nice to be in the AC. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, I was, I was thinking, I want to talk about a lot of things. I, I actually wrote down about three pages of stuff that we could talk about, oh but I'll limit it for respect of your time. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I was kind of going through, you know, all, all that I personally know of you and what you do. And then I started kind of looking around the internet and I'm like, Oh my God, like, where do you, when do you sleep? I mean, it seems like between um, these new courses that you're doing and the happy horse, happy life, and, you know, helping like mentoring people and a skincare line. And I mean, it's just madness, like crazy madness. Yeah. (laughs) 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 It is crazy. But talk a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about the road, this, the happy horse, happy life. This is a new, fairly new venture. Am I correct? Yeah, so it's only been two years, and uh, you know, two years ago, my life changed pretty dramatically because Pat and I got divorced. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not the kind of person that can just sit around. It's like, oh my gosh, I still have so much to give and share, and teaching is my passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called a friend of mine who I'd worked with before, and said, "Do you want to go into business together? I want to create, you know, my own membership and my own education um, series." And of course, he and his wife jumped straight in and uh, we launched Happy Horse, Happy Life. And when he asked me, he said, what do you want to call it? I just, it just came straight out of my mouth. I hadn't (laughs) been thinking of it. I just went happy horse, happy life, because that's what I'm all about. I want, you know, my, my um, goal is to help horses and riders be happy together. And I want a happy life. You know, happy's kind of been my thing. And even though you know, life has always got its, its ups and downs. Your attitude to life is what you can um, influence. And so uh, that's just me, you know. Yeah. I try to find positivity in, in everything. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've picked that up about you. <laughs> Which I love because, you know, I, I – you know, it's hard. You know, I don't I don't want to go down a, ro- a road that it's it's hard. I mean, we're so blessed with being able to work with horses and, you know, being able to teach and um, really you know, carve out the life that we want to lead. I mean, we're very fortunate to be in a first world yeah. country and all those things. But sometimes it just it feels like there's so much pressure to be good at everything and to be doing everything at one time. You know, and I was and, and that's honestly when I read all the stuff that you were doing, I thought, God, it's. I have so many interests in those in, in a lot of the avenues that you're going down and that you're doing. And I just don't know, you know, it, how you do it all. I mean, how do you do it all? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it takes a village. It's yeah. not just me. I've got a small team, but it's a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously I could not do this by myself. And even though there's a lot of things that are generated by me, 
um, it's the people around me that help me get it done. You know, yeah. otherwise I couldn't, there's no way I could do it. And I have a lot of energy, you know, it's yeah. like, I better do something or I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> so, um, and you know, my biggest problem is saying no to things, you yeah. know, cause I go, Oh, that sounds exciting. And oh, yeah. I'd love to do that. And why don't we do this? And why would it's like, all right, slow down, finish this thing first, <laughs> then do the next thing. So it's a little bit of my sickness, you know, that I, <laughs> I get very excited about things and I just want to do it. <laughs> just want to do it all. So yeah. do you have a way that you like, and for all of us that kind of get these, you know, cool ideas and I want to go this way and that way. Do you have a way that you kind of, I mean, do you journal a lot? Do you write things down? Do you kind of try and categorize it? How do you figure out where, how to, how to do what, what type of energy to put where? Wow. I don't know if I can answer that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think about my primary um, purpose mm. and, you know, I want to make a difference when mm -hmm. I think about my core values. Um, I, you know, I'm into personal growth and health and making a difference mm -hmm. and the fourth one is loyalty and mm -hmm. so anything I do has to be governed by those core values mm -hmm. and so if I think about making a difference that's what my business is all about and how do I influence writers and how do I do it all over the world because yeah. I've you know I've had the privilege for the last you know 27 years to be traveling all over the world with one of the best horsemen on the planet seeing people and horses in all kinds of situations from all walks of life, from all disciplines, and and then being able to make a difference, you know, yeah. in the way that they see horses and and see their life with horses, you know. So yeah. horses um, are much more honoured, you know, when you can approach them from a perspective of a relationship instead of them just being a tool. Yes. So, you know, I wake up inspired by that every day. You know, like some people say, you know, don't you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I just want to <laughs> It's like, no, I wake up, it's like, let's, let's go. go. You know, I've always yeah. got like a to-do list and things to do. And I love what I do. So even yeah. if it's hard work, I'm very inspired by it. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm really, really lucky that yeah. way. So I would say number one is making a difference. And I'm lucky to have a business where I am doing that. Yeah. Uh, then when it comes to, you know, the personal growth um, and health, you know, I see my horses fitting into that as well. You know, mm -hmm. I, I ride and train my horses to be good examples of what I teach, obviously, but they also are therapy for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's relaxation, but mm -hmm. it inspires me when I ride my horses and I find that I'm thinking about things and thinking, you know, how would I explain this very intricate concept? Mm -hmm. And um, what I found I had to do was put my horse riding first because right. I can get so caught up in the business and making a difference and excited by teaching and writing that then at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not going to bring my best to the barn. Right. And so then quite often I wouldn't ride. Right. And so that happened to me many years ago. This is not mm -hmm. a recent thing mm -hmm. where finally I decided, you know, I've got to put that first I yeah. put that first and then that inspires me that energizes me for all the things I need to do after that so I've kept that and the only time I don't ride my horses first um, is if there's some big thing that's come up or I'm away teaching but otherwise that's my ritual I wake yeah. up I do my horses I coach my long-term students that are here 
and then the rest of the day I'm writing and doing podcasts and yeah. you know, doing the other things, making yeah. videos or whatever. Yeah. And what, like, it, and that's, can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I think that's something that like a lot of our listeners, I think we all need to hear it a lot actually, is that what we bring to the barn is really important. Like who we are when we come to the barn is very important. And a lot of our listeners they are going there at the end of the day after they've done their, you know, their real job and are going to have that therapy that we all seek and making sure that, you know, we really do check in with ourselves and how we are. How, how does that affect the horses? How does that affect our, yeah. our rides? Oh, hundred percent. I yeah. mean, you know, if your energy's off, your horse will feel it immediately. And, you know, it's not like you can talk to your, your friend or your husband and go, um, listen, I need a few minutes or, you know, today is not the right time to do whatever. Your horse is, has no choice. You yeah. know, it's like you're taking him out and you're riding and you're training and, you know, whatever your goals are with the horse. And I think about it from the horse's point of view and I go, why would the horse want to be with me if yeah. I was not bringing my best? And, yeah. you know, in my program and what I teach, connection is number one. And, so, and I'm not talking about connection through the reins, although it does obviously channel into that at a later stage. But there's a mental connection and an emotional connection. And when my horses see me, I want them to go, oh, boy, there she is. Not like, right. oh, God, you know, <laughs> because she's got something else on her mind or she's on her phone and I'm chopped liver and, you know. Yeah. Um, or if you're tense or, um, you know, upset about something, then you're better off not subjecting your horse to that. Yeah. And when I went through my divorce, I had days like that, you know, where I was just – I was not in a place where I could bring the best to the barn. And I just go, funnily enough, I could go, look, I'm not in the right frame of mind to ride my horse, but I can coach. I can teach you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would take me to a different place, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas with my horse, I mean, you know that. It's a mental, emotional, physical, 100% present thing. Otherwise, mm -hmm. something's going to go wrong because horses are such sentient beings. You know, they feel mm -hmm. everything. And they perceive energy way more than people do yeah. and that's the thing that I think can affect it the most so if I 100. can't bring my best I just go give my horses some treats and turn them out <laughs> but yeah. luckily it rarely ever happens but you know sometimes there can be a business stress or something like that or well, one time my little dog nearly got taken by a coyote and I had so much trouble coming off adrenaline I couldn't ride really I if I get on my horse now you know I, I'm not going to bring my best so I oh made decisions God. like that. Yeah. yeah. Didn't get her, but, yeah. you know, it scared me <laughs> enough. Yeah, I would but, hope so. You know, my yeah. adrenaline was, and I had a lot of trouble getting that under control. It shocked me even, you know, because yeah. I'm pretty good on emotional fitness, but that yeah. was quite challenging. Yeah. Yeah. God, no yeah. kidding. I think that, we have that... to bring our best. I think we owe that to our horses. Yeah. Well, it's funny when you were saying that, it just reminded me, um, so we have a, a mutual friend, um, Nick Riviera, and he's up in Wisconsin, but he was down here helping us with um, building at one of our, our apartments in the barn. And Nick is just like a really neat person. Like he's really nice. And I was thinking one day, I'm like, why is, why do I like this person so much? Like as soon as I see him, I like him. And it's because actually whenever I walk into a room and he says, hello, he genuinely looks very happy and nice to see me. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's always like, Oh, Hey, like he puts whatever down and says hello. And is it, like genuinely looks very like happy that I walked through the door. And 
it's such a nice feeling. And I thought to myself, like, I'm going to try that with tick, you know, with my husband, because lovely. like, you know, we're running around the barn all the time. And half the time I'm so, you know, you're stressed out. And the one person that you don't have to do that with is your husband half the time. You're just like, you walk in, you know, all the, the clients are like, Hey, how's it going? And your partner, you're like, Oh my God. You know? And I thought what pressure and stress am I putting, you know, that if I could just take a second and actually say nice to see you first before unloading all of my stuff, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I wonder how that would change some things around. And I think, and then I think about it with the horses as well is that half the time we don't even notice the energy that we're carrying around or putting on someone else, you know, and like you said, horses read it so much better than people. And half the time I walk around and if I run into somebody that's in a bad mood about something else, you know, my first reaction is, what did I do? You know, what did I do? Yeah. What did I do? Are they upset with me? And you think about that from the horse's point of view and they don't have yeah. the verbal cues for me to say, it's not you, you know, and it unleashes a whole, um, a whole slew of things. So, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like just trying to be I mean, you're with yourself so much and you know so little, you know, the horses read you so much better than you would yourself. It's just, oh, yeah. um, you know, I, uh, I had the little girl out here today and I, we don't teach a lot of little kids. And, um, but I've got this one, one girl that's out here, she's eight years old and she just started coming and she's just so, I mean, her parents like basically said, this is all she wants to do. Can she Aww. please come out here? And I said, kids should be riding with kids. They said, no, she like, when she gets on a horse, she is serious. And it was wow. actually really fun teaching her because today I asked her if she knew what intention meant and she didn't, you know, she, she didn't know. And it was really fun to break it down and explain like your horse is actually reading the intention behind your aids, like what you're doing. The horse doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, she's tiny. She's two feet, like her leg, the horse doesn't even feel the leg, you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it doesn't come out of the paddle flap. But you know, it's really cool to explain it to to someone so young and so little. And then I, I'm sure you find this when you're teaching as well. The more you say it, the more you hear it, and the more you actually remember how important mm -hmm. that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just kind of crazy the the how that ener how the energy is so important. And then you know, circling back to what we were talking about a little earlier, and kind of about the pressures, all, all the pressures that come with daily life, you know, not just riding, but, you know, pressure of, of being a success of riding well, of doing a service to your, to your horse, being successful, whatever in the world that looks like. And, um, you know, trying to figure out a way to, uh, manage it in a way that it doesn't feel like so much pressure. I mean, what's your relationship with pressure? I mean, is that a good thing, a bad thing, a certain amount? Good? It's good. It's good. It's good. I perform well under pressure. Yeah. Mm. I like so, that. So, yeah, I, you know, I, it makes me really step up. Yeah. And, you know, for many years, I've been in a fairly high pressure environment, you know, mm -hmm. um, in business, especially. And uh, even before I came to America, when I was living in Australia and I was working uh, for a skincare company there, you know, um, even though I wasn't really, um, in an ownership situation, I was a top executive. Mm -hmm. And so I was traveling and I was part of uh, making decisions around marketing. I was involved in, uh, I was running, I was the education director. And so um, we had education-based marketing. So I was often involved in those things. 
And then, you know, I thought, well, that's quite a bit of pressure. And, you know, but then once it's your own business, oh, my God, it's like, you know, you think, oh, well, I was acting like it was my own business. But when it is your own business, it's a whole different kettle of fish, you know. And Absolutely. so then I, I just, I've done a lot of personal development um, over the years, especially in my 20s and 30s. And um, I owe so much to that. Because it really helped me to think under pressure and to uh, understand how emotions get in your way and how to stop that, you know. And that's obviously times you can't. But I'm much better than I ever was because uh, as a kid I was pretty hot-headed and um, boisterous, you know, <laughs> and uh, bossy, my sisters tell me. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think it was in my DNA to be more of a leader and a driver you know, mm -hmm. whatever I did. So there's a part of it that's natural, but then there's part of it that is certainly groomed because I, mm. I did a lot of very powerful um, seminars in my 20s. I was so lucky. And they shaped my life. They shaped, really? They really helped shape me as a, as a person, mm. a part of my success. Right. No question. So can, and can you, can you talk about that at all? I know a lot mm -hmm. of this is going to be within, within the programs that you have, you mm -hmm. know, personally, but I mean, I'm really curious about some of those, some of how, again, how you think through pressure, how that pressure doesn't translate in a negative way to the horses when we're riding. Like, obviously that would be very important. Like I'm coming at it and looking from a, through a competition lens as well, because that is a big, a big part of it on that final day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on that final day, it is what it is, right? The training's done. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's, it's perform. And, you know, I think of uh, three stages. I think of learning, practicing, and performing. Mm -hmm. And what I find is a lot of people mix those up. Okay. That, you know, students will bring a lot of pressure on themselves into a lesson. And so instead of being in learning mode, they're in a performance mode. And yeah. it's really counterproductive because now they're very hard on themselves. They're hard on their horses. They're hypercritical. They beat themselves up. It's like you can't do that when you're learning. Yeah. When you go into a learning situation, you go, okay, I'm going to be an idiot for the next hour. I can't tell which is my right, which is my left. I, you know, I'm even things that I know I'm not going to be able to recount them. You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to be brain dead for an hour or however long it is. But you've just got to put yourself in that position and go, I don't care if I look stupid. I yeah. don't care if I make mistakes. And anyway, mistakes are only something when you know better. So mm -hmm. if you know, then if you don't know, you can, it's not a mistake. It's a learning right. experience. Yeah. And so um, I think that makes a big difference, you know, mm -hmm. when I really help people to be better learners and look and just go, look, you just be ready to be an idiot. You know, right. don't put pressure on yourself. It's not going to work. We're going to stay with it until you understand it. And then it's done. The good mm -hmm. news is that learning is a one-time event. Mm -hmm. After that, you get to practice and improve it. Mm -hmm. So now in that second stage, which is practice and improving, um, a lot of people will still treat it like a pressure situation. And performance is pressure, but practice should not be pressure. And that's where a lot of people will blow horses up and even blow themselves up is because they put uh, they try to be perfectionist. Right. Got to get this right. This has got to be better. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Pretty mm -hmm. soon the horses go, yeah, I don't want to dance today. You yeah. know, because every time I'm with you, it's just pressure and I can't do anything right. 
I'm paraphrasing for the horse, but you know what I mean? They just feel picked on and criticized the whole time. And the horse never has this moment of feeling like it did right. Yeah. And so you have to be in that um, situation where you go, you know what? Practice is boring. You're going to work on little pieces and improve them a little bit. And you're going to repeat it and you're going to repeat it. And you're going to repeat it maybe for the next weeks or months or years and just make little tiny changes to it. And then all of a sudden this flower blossoms. But the harder you push in your practice, the more counterproductive it actually is. Hmm. So like as an example today, um, I shot some videos this morning. And so I didn't have much time to ride my horse. And I went, okay, what would be the most productive thing I could do with him um, in our practice environment? Because I'm not teaching Mm -hmm. him anything new and I'm not performing. um, So Mm -hmm. it's just boring practice. And I went, you know what? I'm going to just work on self-carriage and I'm Hmm. going to do it at the walk. Then I'm going to go and break and then I'll do it at the trot and I'll give him a break. And if if we still feel like we have energy, I'll do some in the canter. It was so minuscule, but the end of the session, which was only like 15 minutes long, my horse was energized, happy, Mm -hmm. relaxed, giving me everything. And you can work for an hour and not get that. Yeah. And tomorrow it'll be better. So by not being too critical and just playing with it and how could I improve it, you know, and not not make it any big pressure thing, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's another way that you can just become a better learner. And a, I can't remember your original question now. <laughs> you just become matter. a better. I like this yeah. winding road. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's um, performance. And, you know, I mean, you're the queen of that. And so, um, you know, a lot of my students, um, I'm not teaching them to perform necessarily because I'm more about the behavior and the psychology. Um, but then some of them do compete. And then some of them want to compete and they, and they don't do any preparation for it. So how do you pre- prepare for pressure? Oh, that was the original question. How do you prepare for pressure? You can't just go, all right, I'm ready. Bring, bring it on. Give me pressure. Mm-hmm. You have to train for that. Emotional fitness is part of it. You've got to learn how to think in a, in a, um, in a, a situation where your heart rate is up. And they say that, you know, when your heart rate goes over 110, I think it is, your cognitive cognitive abilities plummet. (laughs) So you have to learn how to engage your brain and be able to think if your heart rate goes over 110, whether it's for emotional or physical reasons. So, you know, in the Olympics, there's that crazy sport where these guys have to cross country ski and their <laughs> and their heart rates yeah. way up and then they have to lay down and, and shoot a target like a sniper right yeah. and so in that little amount of time they've got to control their heart rate and control their mind and their emotions and you have to mm-hmm. train for that you can't just go oh I think I could do that um, yeah so how do you do that and it's by putting yourself in pressure situations and mm-hmm. then learning how to become calm in that Dr. Jenny Mm -hmm. and I did um, a series of seminars together many years ago on emotional fitness. And, you know, we would talk about the definition of what does emotional fitness mean to you? And Jenny would say uh, it means the ability to perform under pressure. Mm -hmm. And to me, my definition of emotional fitness is to be able to think in a right brain situation. And when I say right brain, it's emotional and, you know, there's lots going on, there's chaos, you know, things are happening to you, Mm -hmm. you feel like you can't control it. What do you do 
in that situation. Mm -hmm. And so by putting yourself in different situations that trigger your heart rate, trigger your emotions, and then learning how to stay calm, even mm -hmm. if you can only do it for 10 seconds, the next time you can do it for 20 seconds, for 30 seconds. So a lot of students, because they put a lot of pressure on themselves in a learning situation yeah. when they're with an instructor um, or when they're trying to play with their horse and their horse does something they didn't want, people mm -hmm. tend to get reactive. So the horse does something and uh, they react on it and it derails you. So instead of you being able to stay on track, you get you know, yeah. deviated and having to react to whatever the horse did. Yeah. And so I found a way to help people stop doing that. And if they found that they were in a reactive situation or they wanted to react or um, uh, they were in, um, in a learning situation and they're all, you know, befuddled, yeah. that you just take yeah. this moment and you say to yourself, hmm, how interesting. Hmm. So like somebody cuts you off in traffic right. instead of just laying your hand on the horn, you go, yeah, how interesting. And it gives <laughs> you that moment to then engage your brain instead of just yeah. having an emotional reaction. So you send your horse off to the right, you know, on the lunge and he goes left. And instead of going, God damn it, what are you doing? You go, hmm, how interesting. I wonder why he did that. And then you just calmly bring him back and turn him around and yeah. away you go. So that. Yeah ability to not react mm. in a negative way and be <clears throat> out of control I think is key and yet in a performance yeah. situation you have to react positively so mm -hmm. how do you train that and you do it by first of all mentally like I'm sure you ride courses mentally mm -hmm. and you go if my horse at this jump did this or did that what would I do Mm -hmm. And the same thing, like if you're going on a trail ride and a lot of people have never ridden through a nest of bees, right. well, what if you read, rode through a nest of bees? Like right. most people just stop and start swatting bees and now they're yeah. surrounded by them. But you have to have the presence of mind to go run, <laughs> get away from the bees and then start swatting them. Yeah. But in that moment, you're distracted and you don't think hey. about what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So being able to mentally rehearse, like, rehearse before you go into the boardroom what are all the things that could happen how will I handle it in that moment what about you know if I something goes on the internet and somebody attacks me for something what am I going to do right. you know am I going to react or am I going to try and see it from their perspective and what could I have yeah. done better same thing with the horse if the horse you know has a, a fit do you just beat it up or you know hey yeah. or do you go wow you know okay I got to survive it but now how do I keep control of that um, one time a student was riding in the arena at the same time as me. I wasn't coaching her at the time and something blew over and she was on a young horse and the horse ran forward and then started bucking and she made it for the first two bucks. And then I saw her coming adrift and then she fell off and she jumped up. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, so sorry to me. Like, are you okay? You know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she said, Oh, I just, I, you know, he got scared and I should have been able to stay on. I said, wait a minute, let's go back and look at the situation. <laughs> this was after she calmed down. Yeah. And I said, the problem was that <coughs> A, you didn't control it. You kind of were a victim and went with what the horse did instead of keeping control of it. And then the second thing was that when he bucked, you didn't buck. So if mm -hmm. you bucked with him, you right. would have stayed the course, hopefully, and then been able to stop him. But 
Instead, you got defensive and bracy and then you were a human slingshot. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're gone because you're not yeah. in harmony with what's happening, right? Right. And the same thing, you know, like I see people riding and then all of a sudden their horse spooks and it runs off, you know, in one direction and they kind of go with them and then they pull them back. I was like, what did you do? You wouldn't mm -hmm. let your car do that. You wouldn't just go, oh, my car just yeah. needed to go over there. It spooks it <laughs> the car. It's like, no, yeah. you keep control of that thing, even if it means stop it and keep control don't go with it and do nothing or don't right. react and do the wrong thing so a lot right. of it is mentally rehearsing for the situations you might encounter run into you know, and then you're yeah it, it's so um it's so interesting because it's like half the time our instincts in those situations seem like we do the exact opposite thing that we should do. Yeah, <laughs> you know? we, do. Like, we do. We crouch down in the fetal position, our hands come up, our legs come off, our brains stop thinking, you know, yeah. when in all honesty, like if you did the exact opposite, it would be the, the right, <laughs> most of yeah. the time, the right answer. If you think you need to do something fast, you should probably do it twice as slow. You know, it's yeah. just counter counterproductive. And then there's some people that you watch that it's just as like they're, they're born that way, you know, their, yeah. their instincts and their reactions seem so, so cool. But I often think though, too, that those, you know, and, and you're one of them, I wa I've watched you work with a lot of horses and, and my, I quote you all the time uh, in a lot of my uh, clinics and lessons. And because mm -hmm. I remember you teaching someone and they were just meant to walk up to the horse calmly and they were kind of creeping along and you're like, don't be weird. Stop being weird. You know? <laughs> and it's so funny because you're like, I'm going to do this thing. Really walk slowly up to this horse. And you're like, you look so weird right now. That horse is just thinking you're so strange, you know? And, um, right. but how you can move gracefully and, and at the same, at a pace that seems normal, you know, or, um, when a horse is, like you said, being incredibly reactive, having that pause and that thoughtful moment to carry on with what you were originally, what the task was, and normally yeah. that thing goes away. Um, how can you stay centered? Like, mm. how can you stay with, you know, your idea, what you want to have happen, the picture of what you want to have happen, and if somebody messes with your picture, you can just go... Mm. We'll just put it back here. And, you know, the sooner you see it, and I think about it like a potter's wheel. Have you ever mm -hmm. thrown, thrown clay on a wheel and tried yeah. to make a pot? All right. Mm -hmm. So everything's going great. You're like, ah, and then it gets its little bump, right? Ah, boom, mm -hmm. boom, boom, and then the whole thing is just like <laughs> scattered. So right. what you do is you learn to feel like if you watch people who are really skilled at it, they learn to feel for when a bump's about to happen. Mm. A little unbalance is about to happen. And that's where you get to fix it. And then nobody ever sees the clay fly off the wheel. It never goes right. there. Same right. thing with horses. That, And I think ex knowledge is part of it, but experience is a big yeah. piece of it. Because you know what's about to happen, what mm -hmm. could happen. And you see the tiniest little sign, and then that's where you, you fix it. Like that little bulge on the pottery wheel mm -hmm. and then it just goes along seamlessly but if you let that bulge get big the next thing horse is in the air he's rearing right. he's bucking it's you know and the little things is what you needed to be able to identify mm -hmm. and then that's how you can fix it because then you can keep it on track keep the yeah. clay in the middle of the wheel 
<laughs> I know, I'm just visualizing ghosts, you know, the, the movie. Um, <laughs> you're just doing this pot and all of a sudden there's a ghost behind you massaging your shoulders, um, <laughs> which it feels like sometimes, like, why did I do that? Um, <laughs> when, you, when you come across someone, when you come across a student um, who, who in theory, like conceptually knows this is the way that this should work, but because of uh, maybe a trauma, a fall, a situation that the there's reactions and patterns that have have grooved pretty deeply that it's just a, it is a it's a reaction. It's not a thought. How do you how do you get through that? How would you say say? And I mean, I certainly have things that I do like small tells. You know, when I get a little nervous, my coach will know right away, you know, the common person might not, but he'll know. He's like, you're, you're anxious. Yeah. You're thinking too much. You're trying too hard. Your hands have come up a half of mm -hmm. an inch, you know, <laughs> how do you, how do you work through that when you know it's a trauma response, when you know there's a real pattern there? Um, I've done a lot with that um, in terms of NLP. I don't know if you're familiar with neuro-linguistic programming. No. And it's how your brain operates and how you communicate with your brain and okay. what you believe. <laughs> Because, you know, belief is just a thought you keep thinking. And so, you know, you've got to learn how to control your thoughts and, and control your brain. So NLP is amazing. And I was introduced to it in my 20s. And I, I'm by no means an expert. But there were a few seminars that I did that really helped me to understand what happens with our brain when we get into a fear pattern. And right. I, I did this mainly... Um, with you know in teaching situations with people who just had a lack of confidence with um this is not writing teaching situations but yeah. i used to teach public speaking you know when i was training my my team at the um the, the skincare company mm -hmm. that i worked for i had to train presenters and of course most people are scared of public yeah. speaking more than death right that's the story right. and yeah. uh so how do you get people over that fear and it's not really based on reality because some of them have never done it and so mm -hmm. then when I started um with horses I saw that it was exactly the same kind of thing that it's retreat and reapproach so it's the opposite of what we want to do when we feel scared about something let's say take horses for example it's people you know tell you just get on don't tell don't show the horse that you're scared and just right. come on be brave just work through <clears throat> it well mm -hmm. you can't do it you know mm -hmm. the horse knows you're scared your brain knows you're scared and it will get to a point where your brain goes you cannot be trusted I've told you you don't have the goods for this mentally emotionally or physically yet you're pushing through it and all of a sudden the fear will escalate one day mm -hmm. people go all of a sudden i couldn't get on my horse and they'd be right. pushing through that fear instead of fixing it so mm. um there's you know several ways to fix it but the easiest one and it sounds so ridiculous is when you feel afraid to stop stop right. back up a little bit back off wait till butterflies, excuse me, the butterflies come down and then reapproach it. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you a story. Um, sorry, can you hear my dog snoring? She's, <laughs> she's, on my, she's on my lap and she's like, I can hear her going. <laughs> so um, uh, there was a student that I had in a, a course. She was in a course, a two-week course with me. And it, and it was about 20 students in the class. 
And on the day, the first day that we were going to ride, which was about two days into the class, she said, I have a confession to make. I'm terrified of riding. Mm. And I talked about it a little bit in the class because it's like the dirty little secret. If people are afraid around horses, especially, they don't want to confess it. And they'll push right. through it. They don't want anybody to know. The horse knows. Things don't go well because your energy's off. But most people won't confess it because they feel like they're wrong, that there's something wrong with right. them. They shouldn't be scared. I have no right to be scared. So I talk about it, you know, when I'm teaching writing and, and, and basically I'll tell the story now. So um, I said, okay, well, then you're not going to ride. You come and, come and sit with me in the golf cart while I'm coaching everybody else. And so then I talked to her and I said, now, I want you to imagine yourself riding and tell me, you know, like when your butterflies start. So is it when you wake up and think about it and you're still in bed? Does it happen when you're brushing your teeth? Does it happen when you're in the car driving to your horse or walking to your horse? Does it happen when you get your horse? Does it happen when you put your foot in the Like when does it happen? Mm -hmm. And she said it happened when she would think about it. So in the morning, if she thought about riding a horse, she'd feel sick before really? she even got out of bed. Yeah, it was oh. pretty extreme. Yeah. So I said, okay, so um, you woke up, you thought about riding, you feel sick, you've got butterflies going crazy, and now I want you to retreat from that and go, and I'm going back to sleep in my little happy place. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to think it again. And you just keep winding back and then, you know, going forward and then rewinding it. But every <clears> time <throat> you hit the butterflies, you go backwards <clears throat> and you start from scratch again. And then pretty soon you just start from one or two steps back. But it might take you. 40 steps to get to where you can sit on your horse without butterflies. Mm -hmm. It might take you 10. It might be more. It might be less. But what you have to do is honor that threshold every time you feel it. So I said to her, um, so we're going to walk you through all of that. And, and I said, and you're going to do it in your head. I don't need to talk to you, but you're sitting here in the golf cart with me. And I said, and you're going to go get your horse. Now, that might not happen today. It might not happen at all during this course, but you're going to run this process every time. It took her 40 minutes to get out of the golf cart. And she would go to get up, and then she'd feel the butterflies. She'd stop. She'd rework her process. And I just, you know, didn't do yeah. anything, gave her no pressure. She went and actually got her horse, saddled it, and stood on the mounting block and petted it. And that was as far as she got the first day. Uh -huh. Second day, she got all the way through it. Third day, she's riding, she's in the forest. And, and what had happened, a deer had jumped out of the woods and scared her horse. Mm -hmm. And so it spooked violently and she fell off and then she was terrified. And so she was very afraid of riding <clears> in the woods. And so we had woods on the property where you could go out of the woods and into the woods and out of the woods and into the woods. And on day four, she was riding in the woods. Really? And, yeah. And I make them promise, like, I'm not going to look at you and go, are you okay? Because mm -hmm. you have to learn to teach your brain that it can trust you. Right. If you need someone else telling you you're okay or asking if you're okay, you're not in control of yourself. And you have the strategy now to retreat and reapproach hmm. and retreat and reapproach. And it's unbelievably powerful. And you can see it in horses. I mean, horses right. that are terrified of going into water or on tarp or a trailer or whatever, yeah. you just retreat and reapproach. And pretty soon the horse goes, eh, I can do it. Yeah. Same thing happens with the human brain. <clears throat> but we humans are the worst. We're our worst self-critic. We say things to ourselves we would never say to anybody else. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And they're the things we have to stop. We have to get control of that to, um, you know, be be kinder to ourselves and more respectful to ourselves. And, you know, this takes work. It doesn't just happen to you, you know. Um, Like I said, I did a lot of courses in my 20s to learn how to control my brain and my emotions and not become a robot, you know, emotionally fit doesn't mean that you're cold stone and you don't feel any emotions. (laughs) You do, but you're not dysfunctional. You know, if something happens, you can work your way through it instead of like, you know, collapsing into a puddle of nothing you know who knows what yeah yeah and, so, um, i think it was jo- uh maybe jonathan field that said it that he said that you're um you're as confident as your your self-talk is your inner is your yeah. inner voice like whatever yeah. that voice is saying is your confidence yeah. level you know and you cannot fake it you know people say <laughs> fake it till you make it you can't do that with a horse right and expect it to go well like mm-hmm. somewhere somehow you're going to be on this plane up here instead of right where your horse is mm-hmm. you know you need to stay connected you need to stay present and you know the horse depends on that and yeah i don't carry my cell phone when i ride and mm-hmm. um you know i teach my students not to do that it's like if you're out to dinner with somebody it's like yeah like we're on the podcast and i'm like on my <laughs> it's like who's important here right, you know right this has yeah. got to be the most important thing it's like yeah there's nothing else more important than you right now Right. Right. There's nothing more important than my horse right now right. or my student right now or the article that I'm working on. And that's a big self-realization that I had in some of the training that I did in my 20s was that I was all into, you know, right. 50 things going in my head at any one time and learning how to make one thing really important was a struggle for me. But yeah. I'm honed on that now. You know, I really... <laughs> have worked on that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do anything other than, you know, like any practice, have you ever done any meditation or anything like that? Do you practice any of those, those routes or is not, not really on your radar? Oh, it's totally on my radar. Um, I really fuel my brain. Um, You know, I'm constantly working on myself. Like I said, one of my core values is um, personal growth. Right. So how can I be better, you know, some way better every day, mentally, emotionally, or physically, and I listen to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. and personal growth things, and I educate myself in, you know, various things, not just horsemanship. And so I'm always kind of grooming my brain. And then I also know, like, you know how you hit a wall? Well, I've learned to see the wall coming. <laughs> so if I see the wall coming, I go, ah, I'm going to watch a movie yeah. or I'm going to go cook or I'm going to do something that just you know, makes me be really present in another way that I don't, you know, that it's not demanding. Right. Um, But yeah, I do. And I'm, you know, there's different forms of meditation, I guess. Mm -hmm. And my meditation is um, listening to my podcast in the morning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I I have that time Time. that, you know, is around about, you know, five or six in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I spend anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes and I'm listening to something. Oh, really? That's mm-hmm. interesting. And I've done a lot of uh, meditations also with Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, that certainly helped me, you know, when I was going through, a, you know, a difficult time in my life a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that was incredible. You know, you yeah. can't do that by yourself. I don't, right. I don't know that you can. And yeah. there's so many brilliant people out there that you can tap into. And um, Yeah. 
So yeah, I do. Do a bit of that. It's so it's so interesting. It's like I love I I love listening to you talk about all this because it's um yeah, it feels like it, it's hard to get to the road of self growth without feeling like something is like you're trying to fix something, but it's not. It's just you're just always trying to um it's training. Training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was having this conversation um with Tick the other day because you know, I was having one of those moments I had just gotten hurt and I had only been back in the tack from having a baby for, you know, a short period of time. And so I was like ready to go. And of course I was going far too fast, too much, you know, just in a hurry and um, got myself hurt. And then, you know, I had this, I'm going, I'm on the way to the hospital. Right. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? And the EMT guys are like, nothing. You're just lying there. I'm like, no, that's not what I mean. I'm to myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I, and I said to Tick when we got to the hospital, I was like, what, do, what, what do we do? Like, is this, am I not supposed to be doing this? You know, you have all of the, these thoughts that come and go. And I, and I was trying to think of, well, should I be doing something else? But I just love what I do. Right. And then I thought, oh shit, maybe I'm just addicted to this. Maybe it's like a drug. Maybe I don't even like this, you know? And maybe at that point I would have on, on some oxy or something. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and takes like, oh, here she goes. And, um, but that, that conversation was a really, one that happened over the next few weeks. Honestly, we just kept kind of revisiting in less emotional, emotionally charged yeah, absolutely. moments, right? And, um, and what we really came around to from a competitive point of view was that we just, neither of us, you know, the thing that was keeping us in was that we didn't feel like we had reached our full potential or even part of it, you know, like we just feel like there's so much room for it. And it's funny that you're, you're saying growth is personal growth. Mm-hmm. I just, we just felt like there was, there's still so much room for personal growth and that that actually may be a bit of the addiction or the mm, craving of the learning the drive. or something that way. The but drive, it was a, yeah. yeah, it was a big, it's, it's, I'm still in the shift because I've always been very, um, you know, like when I got back on, and I think this is, this might have been the, the learn behind the fall, if you know what I'm saying, that um, when I got back in the tack after Violet was born, I was like, okay, I'm going to the, the three star in the fall. These horses are going to be shortlisted for the Pan Ams in the spring. Paris is in the, you know, and I'm like, let's go. <laughs> and then down we went, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, and then it just, it's interesting though, to try and figure out that. And, and I think in our, at our farm, we have this discussion a lot. And I know we've had this discussion before because we're a competitive farm, but we also are so interested in the horse first and the relationship. And, mm-hmm. and it's a fine line sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm not going to lie. I struggled back and forth. I'm on both sides of it quite often trying to figure out where the priority lies when, um, you know, there is pressure of competition and we've got to make these goals over here, but then something doesn't feel right you know, there's a moment that doesn't feel right in the training, or there's a day that doesn't feel right that you can't push through. Mm. And, and trying to change the shift from maybe so um, in, in pen on the calendar to more the, the, let's see where the, the growth side of it goes. And then hopefully that filters into the competitive side of things. Um, 
I, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, you know, the because obviously you've got students that compete and you've you've been around, you know, multitudes of different Olympians and different disciplines and, and ride with them often yourself. And, you know, where do you see that line or is it constantly moving as far as kind of the the competitive world, the natural horsemanship world, because those two don't always feel like they're together. Uh, yeah. That you might know, be a big, big question for an hour into our talk. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like, how do I make this? Mm. <laughs> yeah. okay. So um, with natural horsemanship, you know, that kind of took on a life of its own that became a little different from what Pat and I originally um you know, started it to be. Mm. So then it, you know, became all about rope wiggling and rope reins and right. people then went, well, you know, we don't believe in shoes and, you know, we don't believe in bits and, you know, we don't shave our armpits. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, that's not what it's about. <laughs> it's about, you know, what's natural for the horse, mm. you know, in terms of how do horses think and how do you appeal to their nature, not how can I keep a horse in captivity as if it's a Mustang, you know, you can't. Right. And horses are very adaptable. So, you know, it's really about the psychology and the nature of horses and how can you get a horse to love what we want to do? Right. How do you do that? And, you mm -hmm. know, dressage is my um, sport of choice. And so the way that I think about it is like, why would my horse want to go into an empty arena that it can't see what the hell we're doing and yet I'm putting a lot of pressure on it to do a better trot, you know, yeah. or to do a flying changer here, you know. Yeah. Why should the horse love that? So I've thought about that, I mean, to death, as you can yes, imagine. And for I, sure. I really think about it because, you know, philosophically it's a big question. Yeah. And so I have an answer for it. Yes, because <laughs> I'm so excited. The answer. But I thought, why would my horse want to do this and I actually had a student say and he's he's a an international jumper in Italy uh, Luca Moneta and he said Nina I don't think my horses really like jumping mm. and I said okay and he said I think they just jump because they love me mm. and I went and <laughs> like is that a problem yeah. And he goes, well, I want my horses to love jumping. And I said, no, you don't, because they won't stay in your pastures. <laughs> I have one of those. I have a horse like that. You can't keep him in anything. He loves jumping. You know? So, um, but I said, if they love jumping with you, that's the key. Right. And so then that's how I think of it in dressage. I go, why would my horse want to do this? And it's because my horse loves to dance with me. Mm. loves to be in harmony with me he feels bigger better more successful more positive more athletic more you know whatever it is and he has a great time with it because he gets to offer and contribute instead of just being made to do it to be obedient and you know there's so there's all this psychology that I've put into it going how can I get my horse to go just tell me when and I'll do a flying change. Just tell me when. I'm ready. I'm ready. Just tell me when and I'll do passage. Just tell me when. Yeah. So that's the state, you know, that I keep working towards and not practicing those things every day. I'm practicing getting my horse into that frame of mind. So then it's there when I want to perform it. And so I practice performing about um, one day in five. 
So every fourth day, I'll, you know, do some fairly high pressure things and do it. I don't actually write a test, but I do it like, okay, now I'm performing. And performing is not when you're learning and it's not when you're practicing. It's like, put it on the table, what you got. I'm going to go out, I'm going to do these things. I'm not going to try and fix it as I go. And at the end, I'm going to judge it. I'm going to go, well, that was crap. And then I'll go back and go, <laughs> what do I have to improve? Yeah. Or you go, whoa, that was really cool. And then you celebrate it. But most people, again, going back to that learning, practicing, performing, they can't separate it. So even when they're performing, they're training the horse or they're teaching it something new or they're correcting it. Or, and then horses go, oh, you know, why aren't we dancing? Now the two of us have to bring it with everything that we've, we've learned. So um, first of all, I think, you know, for horses, having that opportunity to find harmony is huge. And we have to learn to stop picking on them. We have to yeah. learn how to let them know they're right. Yeah. You know, how does the horse know when he's right? Yeah. Like I often have students who are really good on the ground and they release to the horse, they give the horse comfort, they give it that chance to know it's doing the right thing. Then they get on and they're constantly pushing with their leg and pushing with their seat and holding on. It's like, when does your horse know he's right? There's never yeah. been any peace in there. Mm. So I think that's a huge part of it is that, you know, how can your horse find joy in it? Right. What is going to float his boat about doing mm. this? And even when there's pressure at the end of it, the horse goes, yeah, you know, right. that was awesome. We did it together. Yeah. And you have to teach horses how to respond to pressure, just as we were talking about, you know, um, pressure situations mm -hmm. for us as human beings. I train for that. Right. I train to go out and talk to 10,000 people, you mm -hmm. know, and perform with my horse. You can't just show up and do it. You've got right. to, you know, what if something went wrong? What if, you know, yeah. all my accidents would happen in front of 10,000 people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you got to be ready for that. And then how do you manage yourself and how do you manage the crowd and how do you manage your horse? And that doesn't come naturally. You've got to train. Right. So with a horse, like I've got a horse that's very introverted, jazz. He's a very emotional horse. It's been a huge journey for me because I looked at him and said, I want you to be my Grand Prix tiger. And he's like, I just want to be this little shrinking violet and don't anybody look at me or ask me anything. And so I realized at one point I have to teach him to enjoy pressure. What's right. that going to take? Where when I pick up the reins and say, and now I want power, he goes, yeah. Whereas before it was like, please don't pick up the reins, you know. So there's a way to teach horses that and you've got to yeah. it's like emotional fitness you've got to expand that bubble and then the other part I want to share is um from a, a dear friend of mine Luis Lucio who's um a two-time Olympic dressage rider on the Spanish team he was the trainer's delegate for the um, dressage committee the FEI committee he was the mm -hmm. team director for Spain for many years young riders talent scout director I mean he's like all the credentials Everything. you can imagine and he would uh, do team selections and things like that. And he said, do you know what the number one thing we have to tell the team when they're selected is that between now and the Olympics, all you have to do is keep your horse sound. Don't right. go and practice and practice and try to make things better. You're already qualified. Work on the relationship and keep your horse sound. Because he said often what would happen is people would, you know, now they're selected. They're like, oh, i got to really train for the Olympics now. And then they put more pressure on their horse, more pressure on themselves. 
And if they get there, um, you know, it's a, a harrowing experience rather than a celebration yeah. because, you know, they've put themselves under so much pressure, they're stressed, and, you know, their horse may or may not be lame. So he right. said that's the biggest yeah. thing that they have to help their, um, their team with and, and that they believe very strongly in um, sports psychology to help people get through that part. And with horse psychology, it's the same thing. How do you get the horse to go? Can't wait to get in that arena and perform instead of you need two people to get it down the chute into the, you know, into the competition arena because the horse doesn't want to go in there. That's not a good way to start, right? 100%. I mean, that's a, a lucky, uh, lucky team, honestly, to have somebody to tell them that because there's a lot of teams that that they they would say the total opposite, you know, like, okay, yeah. now that we've got our team, now we have to work on how do we get the gold medal? You know, how do we do that? Let's wind it up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just like anything, and, there are certain horses that can handle it and certain people, but most can't, you know? Yeah. I asked him, you know, because he was part of getting the Spanish team up to, I think they were fifth in the, in one of the Olympics because they were barely on the radar and most of them ride Spanish horses and those are often not competitive with warm bloods and under his direction, they, uh, you know, reached a highly credible point, you know, in Olympics and in, in international competitions. And he said that um, sports psychology was a big piece of it. Horse mm -hmm. psychology, he said he wished he could have done more, but people thought he was a little woo woo. So he had to be yeah. careful talking about it because, you know, he does what I do. And, yeah. um, and then he, the other part was, um, that he always had them perform in front of international judges. So even in Spanish national competitions, they would bring international judges in because he said then you'd get a taste of the real world instead of going, oh, well, we were fine at home, but now we're on the, you know, in the big world, oh, you know, suddenly it's much tougher. So his understanding of psychology is like pretty deep and he made, he said he made, it made a huge difference for the team. That's so interesting because I think that a lot with the American team and, you know, it's kind of like uh, once you start seeing things a certain way, it's hard to unsee that. And especially like in eventing, it's such a um, well with all all equestrian sports. But I, I do feel like in eventing, the relationship is so paramount from a safety point of view, you know, being on the exact same page. You know, you need to be on the same page. And, yeah. um, you know, and I, I often think like, God, if we could just get some more of the, the horse psychology behind it and the sports psychology behind it. But I don't know if it would, like, I can understand how it wouldn't be totally well received all the time. You know, there's a lot of people, it just, the old school thinking is to be received. So I yeah. don't know. It's hard. It's, it's kind of, well, you know, there's that old, it's coming around. There's that, there's that old question. It's like, how many missionaries does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> One, yeah. but the light has got yeah. to want to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. People got exactly. to want to do it. You cannot make them do it. You know, there's a point at which yeah. some people will start to care about their horse in a different way. Um, yeah. And often, you know, nine times out of 10, it's people who've got this one in a million horse and normally mm. they would have given up on it, sold it down the road and they go, I don't want to give up on this horse. It's so special. Mm -hmm. I need to think outside of the box. I need to do something different. Yeah. And then the light yeah. bulb wants to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely.
Completely. Well, I, you know, and I think, I, I think things I had this, one of the first podcasts we did was with David O'Connor and oh. I kind of brought that up a little bit and I was, I was kind of a little frustrated with some things I was seeing in the sport and he actually, who, you know, David, well, he's, yeah. he's like, I call him Eeyore. Like he's not always like the most positive dude. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he said, he said to me, Sinead, it's changing. He's like, look at the people that are winning, like pay attention to those, stop looking at the other ones, you know, like, but, but it is people, you know, it's there's true. an incredible amount of horsemanship that is coming into the disciplines and they're winning, you know? So maybe people aren't talking about it as much as they should at that level. Maybe they're just naturally like that or have found that way and don't put it in a, in a category. Um, but he, it, it is the whole world's kind of moving that way. It is definitely moving. You know, uh, 30 years ago when, you know, we started um, talking natural horsemanship and, you know, seeing things from the horse's point of view and all that kind of thing, it was like, you know, they're going to burn us at the stake, like witches and warlocks and (laughs) like what voodoo is a cult, you know, like what is all of this, you know. Um, And it was really hard yards for a long time. And then yeah. it just started to infiltrate and people would go, you know what, my, my grandpa used to be more like that or my dad was like that or yeah. I had this trainer or this old horse guy. It was always this old horse guy, you know, or some <laughs> woman or girl that just had this way with horses, but they didn't know how to explain it, you know, or how yeah. to duplicate it. But natural horsemanship has certainly, you know, put its tendrils into lots of different areas and I think that that I know that that's made an impact. It's influenced a lot of young riders who are, you know, maybe not formally, but informally, they've had pieces of it and they think differently. They're exposed to different ways of thinking. And it's coming into, you know, all the brilliant parts of the sport. So it's, yeah. you know, the two things are melding. And uh, unfortunately, I also think that the animal rights movement, um, I shouldn't mm. say unfortunately, but. You know, that's been pretty strong in a lot of areas. And I, I think that's forced people to change, that they yeah. can't, yeah. you know, be, uh, certainly in public, they can't mistreat horses. Um, yeah. And, you know, if they do it in private, it's going to come out somewhere. Well, so yeah. I think overall, you know, it's like Gandhi, that beautiful Gandhi quote, you know, you can tell the evolution of a, nature, of a nation by the way it treats its animals. Yeah. You know? because now there's more yeah. respect for those animals then we don't use them for work they're for our sport mm-hmm. and pleasure and mm-hmm. some of us feel like well how can we give that horse a great life at the same time yeah yeah no so so true and it's it's funny i'm sure you find this as well we i was just in new york teaching and the we taught at this great place and the arena is really cool because it has a um, like half of the arena's a bank. So it's got a couple different levels of the bank. So, and that was the only oh, cross nice. country they had. Yeah. But it was, yeah. Cause it was awesome. So we got to come in and out of it. And um, a couple of the horses had issues. And you know, when you were, when we were back talking about approach and retreat, you know, that's really in the last little while that's Tick and I have definitely changed our cross country style and teaching horses with banks and drops to approach and retreat. And you, I'm sure we, we get the same reaction a lot that I'm sure you guys got when you started the horsemanship stuff, you, you know, the horse is about to jump off the bank, but you can tell it's scared. And I'm telling you to turn around. And if I hit him, he's going to go, he'll definitely go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but you know, you don't, you don't want it to go that way. And you, but 
what I've seen more than not recently is the relief on people's faces when they feel like there's another systematic way, you know, that, that, you know, thanks to you and thanks to, you know, a handful of people out there, it's, there's started to become words associated with it in a system that Mm -hmm. you can teach something that somebody can hang on to that doesn't just have this mystical, magical feel, you know, it's, it is very tangible and you can teach it. And that's what I was, it was really interesting because this was probably one of the first clinics that I really saw just a, like, of these ladies that didn't want to beat the horse, you know, they didn't want to do all that other stuff, but they felt like they had to, you know, they had to push yeah, through it. That was and, the only way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'll be honest, it's, uh, it takes a lot for me. There were moments this time where I could see the horse was about to go. And, and actually if they did just give it a little pop, it would have, and it took everything in my soul to say, <laughs> turn around. <laughs> You know, I started to tick because like, I just believe in my process so much. And I'm like, I believe most of the time, (laughs) Um, you know, I just, I needed, we needed a little, I needed a little pep talk, but I did stick with it, you know, and it's, but it's just, you know, it's so ingrained from what we've been taught, but I know I'm relieved to do it that way. Um, so and I think that's times where things, they have really changed because, you know, I mean, this is military riding, right? Mm. That's where it stems from. And in the military, obedience is everything. I mean, whether it's mm-hmm. horses or humans is like, mm-hmm. yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right now. No argument. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you have to do that or you're going to die in war, right? So right. if you're fighting yeah. on horseback, your horse better do everything that you said right now, right here. Even if you're scared, I don't care. You listen to me. We're doing it. But we yeah. don't live in those times anymore. We want, you know, a happy horse. We want a relationship. Mm-hmm. We don't want to die <laughs> in battle, <laughs> you know. We yeah. don't want to die in the dressage arena. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, which, you know, people do because they're riding <laughs> horses that are out of control, mentally, emotionally, yeah. physically. You know, they're freaked out. They're not confident. So to me, this is the science of confidence. And, you know, mm. a confident horse is a happy horse. A confident person is a happy person and a confident mm-hmm. horse and rider, you know, are a safe horse and rider, at least, yeah. you know, safe and, and, and competitive and competitive, and you know, like that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is actually, yeah. you know, that yeah, I think is the confidence. final piece. Mm. Yeah. That needs yeah. To, to shine through. Yeah. Um, well, I've had you on the phone for an hour and 15 minutes already. Um, <laughs> that's so, been fun. <laughs> I know I, I could go for a lot longer, but I, I want to get to these questions because I'm sure we'll dabble around here for a little bit, and that way I'll I'll, I'll get you. I think in, we might have actually out. set covered a lot of it because you yeah the questions. I, yeah, at, there were I, a few things that I definitely I, yeah. I thought we'll we'll just touch back on it. Um, yeah, cool. Cool. All right. So, what is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? Be a hundred percent present. Mm. Because yeah. every time I've not been, not every time, but when I've not been is when I've had accidents yeah. or I've had something not good happen. And mm-hmm. um, I learned that in a big way, performing in front of big crowds, you know, at expos or at the events, you know, the Prelly events that we used to do. And, you know, it'd be thousands of people and I'd be with my horse. And the only times that something would go wrong was when I thought more about the audience than my horse. So, you know, I was so passionate about getting people to, you know, to like this or to understand it. And then my horse is like, 
where am I? You know, what am I? and I'm yeah. sitting on him bareback and bridalist. It's like, I'd better be <laughs> present, you know? And so something would go wrong. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was because I was not present for my horse. So yeah. when I'm a hundred percent present with my horse, then everything goes great. And then I can include, you know, whether it's an audience or whatever, but learning how to be a hundred percent present horses have taught me more than anything else about that. And it, be, yeah. it just becomes part of life. I'm like that with people. And, um, you know, in situations I try to be a hundred percent present, not in my head somewhere else in the future or any anxiety of the past. It's like right here, right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the most healthy place to be. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite training or competition mantra you reference regularly? Yes, I do. My students will tell you I say this a lot. Enjoy it or fix it. So, <laughs> so I see people somewhere in between. They're not yeah. enjoying it and they're not fixing it. And I always look right. at people's faces, you know, like if things are going well, they've got a pleasant look on their face. If it's yeah. not going well, and I use emojis a lot when I'm teaching, you know, yeah. like writing. And when they're kind of like, mm, doesn't look good or, you know, it's easier to see the ones where they're really unhappy. And I, yeah. I can tell they're not happy, but they're not changing it either. So right. um, I say, you know, are you happy with that? And they go, yeah. And I said, well, then enjoy it. Show your horse <laughs> that you're enjoying it. You know, yeah. enjoy that moment or that time. Don't just go, mm, well, in a minute it's going to be crap, you know. So enjoy it. And then if you're not enjoying it, then what do you got to do? To fix it so you yeah. both can enjoy it because if you're not enjoying yeah. it your horse isn't yeah. enjoy it or fix I it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> i think in your clothing line you should do like a whole just like a t-shirt like t-shirts with your little sayings on them like i was already thinking you should have one isn't that interesting yes. <laughs> that should exactly. be out there <laughs> and enjoy it or fix it i definitely buy that one as yeah. well there are plans there is actually a t-shirt with that on it <laughs> one there is there we go course. Yeah, they had me come to a clinic and they printed T-shirts that said enjoy it or fix it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know. I, I always laugh here because I tell people to just be normal. I'm like, just ride down to that fence and just be normal. So that's going to be our T-shirt here. Don't be weird. That's uh, it. <laughs> um, is there a piece of advice someone gave you along the way that you still reference today? Yes. There's, you know, there's many, many of them because I've really had the fortune to be around some very wise people, great masters and very philosophical people, you know, whether it's in horses or outside of horses. Um, But I'm going to quote Walter Zettel, give, Mm -hmm. give, give. That's it. it. And I remember asking him one time, Walter Zettel is a, a wonderful master who's no longer with us. And I was lucky to study with him for 12 years. And, uh, I would sit, like I'd have my lesson and then I'd sit next to him and I'd be watching, you know, what he's coaching people and trying to figure out why he said this, what, what happened that made him, you know, give that direction. And he says, give, he would say, give a lot, give, 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 Mm -hmm. give the right, give the left. And one day I said to him, "Um, so I can't tell when you're saying give like why you're saying give I said I can't Mm -hmm. tell if the horse did something wrong or if he did something right he said both you give (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but we want to do the opposite. If he's right, we yeah. want to do more. And if he's wrong, we want to smack him. Like, no, just I mean, if that's not a light bulb moment, you're like, that's all there is to know. The end. I've learned that's the internet. <laughs> like, just I love it. Give because yeah. we don't you are right. give. We do the opposite. And when we give is when the horse gets calmer. Right. <laughs> Right. Oh, that's so funny. I love it. it. Um, What do you do when you are seeking inspiration? Uh, You know, I'm surrounded by inspiration. So I I don't know that I go seek it. I'm just in it all the time. I'm inspired by my horses. I'm inspired by my students. I'm inspired by the podcasts. I'm inspired to cook. I, you know, when I work, I can't work in silence because I hear every little Mm -hmm. cheep you know, like I'll get distracted. And so I need some kind of white noise. So I'm famous yeah. for having cooking shows on the TV. And I just have these cooking shows going while I write. And every now and then I'll go, right. oh, that's a good recipe. So then that inspires me. Um, and I'm also very lucky to be around some, you know, successful people uh, in all walks of life that are extraordinary human beings. I mean, I don't get to spend much time with you. I've spent a little more time with Tick. But, you know, people mm-hmm. like that that you have around you are constantly inspiring. And, you know, if you want to soar with eagles, don't fly with turkeys. And so I'm very <laughs> careful about who is in my vortex, you know. Yeah. I, I, I surround myself with positive people, passionate people, you know, it doesn't matter what level they could be mm-hmm. novice riders, but they're passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or people who are passionate about business or very skilled in different things. So uh, I, that's just my world. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate, you know, I've created that world and I protect it and that's the world I live in. So mm-hmm. I rarely find myself in a place where I go, I need some inspiration. I'm like overwhelmed by inspiration. Yeah. I just like, need to see that wall coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Um, um, all right. Our last question. Have you uh, had an experience or an adversity separate from horses that you feel like has influenced you as a horsewoman? Uh, yes. I had an experience with um, a great teacher his name is Robert Kiyosaki I mentioned him I think I mentioned him earlier did I Mm -hmm. no I didn't Uh, but Robert Kiyosaki he uh, used to run seminars in Australia Mm -hmm. um, and he's from Hawaii America he's American and uh, this is back in the 80s and there was a course that I did with him called powerful presentations and he was very big on teaching personal growth seminars and this is like in the 70s and 80s that was personal growth seminar time Uh And so I was lucky to be growing up in that time and exposed to all these amazing people like Zig Ziglar and, you know, that really helped shape the positive thinking and personal growth movement. So Robert Kiyosaki um, ran a course called Powerful Presentations. And so I went along and I thought I was pretty good at presentations uh, because I was already uh, teaching very successfully in the skincare industry and I'd grown um, my audiences from like six people to regularly 50 to 70 people in a seminar mm-hmm. every couple of months. And people would keep coming back because they just loved the seminar. So I thought I was doing great and, you know, oh, I'll do this powerful presentations anyway because people said I should do it. I cried for three days 
it was the most cathartic experience because, you know, I went in probably a little high on myself thinking I'm, you know, top of my game in my industry and, you know, doing all these presentations and whatever. And the very first thing that he wrote up on a flip chart uh, to introduce the seminar was some people think their information is important. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> of course it's important. You know, yeah. that's what you're teaching. That's what you're empowering people with. And then he said, you have 15 minutes to prepare a five-minute speech. And he left the stage. And I was freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I guess I can do one of my skincare speeches or whatever. Anyway, so I got something ready. And then he asked for volunteers to come up on stage and do their little speech demo. And instead of critiquing them on their presentation skills, the main thing that he or how they spoke or, the, you know, whatever, the main thing that he pulled people up on was their lack of connection with the audience. Mm -hmm. And then the whole three days was all these games that we played where, you know, their experiences and situations that he puts you in so it reveals your true nature in this situation. And emotional fitness was part of it and your personal power and how you affect people it was unbelievable. Hmm. And so why I cried for three days was because I realized I was doing everything wrong in my wow. presentations because I thought my information was important. Right. And people would ask questions and I'd just answer questions and I'd think, well, you know, why don't they get it? This is simple. And I was a little bit judgmental back in those <laughs> days. And, um, and then, you know, the biggest thing that he taught was how to connect. And he wow. said some people think the information is important, but it's not. It's how you connect with your audience mm -hmm. and connecting one-on-one -on -one or one with 10 or a thousand people or 20,000 people. How do you do that? Mm. And the most powerful place to be is yourself. Mm. And as soon as it's an act, as soon as you're trying to be somebody that you're not, you're trying to be braver than you are, you're faking it till you make it, people disconnect from you. They know it's not real. So you have to come from your heart and you have to be, you have to connect and you can only connect if you are connected with yourself. Hmm. So that was life changing. Yeah. And I was 24 when I did wow. that wow. seminar. It changed my life. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's the, yeah. And I mean, that circles right back to what we were talking about or what you were talking about with the horses and the connection and what you bring to the table. And even from a competitive, I'm going to have to chew on that for a bit because even from the competitive side is that it's not the information, is it? It's just, no. it's the connection. If you have that, then the information, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what it is, right? Yeah. Like, we believe in it each other. Matter if it's yeah. Jumping or, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, you know what happened yeah. after that seminar? Um, I mean, cause I was a wreck through the whole thing, but it was, incredibly powerful <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed I remembered anything but it struck me so strongly mm -hmm. and about two weeks later I had a, a seminar to run and you know a lot of people I knew because they kept coming back every couple of months and learning more and I did my seminar quite differently without even realizing it and in the first break all these people started coming up to me and no one would come up to me in the break I'd, I'd announce a break and everyone would go have a break. No one would come and talk to me. And I got mobbed in the break. And um, these people said to me, you're different. I'm like, really? 
And they said, mm. yeah, what happened? Like, we've been coming to you for years, and this is the first time we felt we could come up and talk to you. Really? Had no idea. I oh. was so intimidating because I was confident in delivering my speeches and information, and they respected me for that, but they couldn't connect with me. Huh. And when I started to um, talk to them more and ask them things and stop focusing on my information, mm. the relationship between me and the audience changed. And it happened immediately. People came up and started asking me questions. And before that, it's like they couldn't talk to me. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. That's it's huge. Great. Huge. Yeah. yeah. And when you look back on that experience, like when you came back the second time and you were very different did you, was it genuine, was there something now that you can see that you changed or more you were genuinely paying attention to the people that were there? Um, I used some of the strategies that I'd learned in that course, mm -hmm. uh, which was to give them time to think. It's things I use with horses now. Mm. Give them time to think uh, instead of just, you know, throwing information at them. I would uh, ask them questions or I'd make them part of like, what do you think about this? And, right. you know, how would you look at it? And what would happen? Like, if that happened, what would you do about it? So I was much more interactive with the audience hmm. rather than a one-way deliver, delivery and then saying, so does anybody have any questions? And everyone's like, oh, you just gave me so much I can't even think. So my pace was different and I was much more connected to the audience I would read their faces and see if they were overwhelmed if they were thinking if they were you know if their expression was oh, I'm confused and you know I know that's an emotion and so then I would so yeah everything changed and it, it was so powerful I mean three days really shifted me so even though I learned some strategies I don't know that I was using them as consciously as just being aware that I was trying to connect with people instead of just stand up there and deliver my sermon, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. so huge. awesome. That's, huge. Yeah. Huge. Especially with me like to at this that, day. Yeah. And at yeah. that point, you weren't even, you weren't in the horse industry, right? No. I had horses. I was, um, I had two horses and I was trying to do dressage. So I was, um, <laughs> you know, having lessons regularly and competing and not very well. Um, and, you know, horses were my passion, but I just, never thought they could be my business, you know, that they'd be my life as well. So, and here I am. Here it all came are. together. Yeah. Believe in something I, enough, it happens. <laughs> believe. Um, and I just, I have one question I'm adding in. It's a very intense one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are you ready? What I do we know. do about this? Okay. What, is, mm, what are your top two tips for us ladies out with our skin? What do we do? Oh, <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say is believe in the oils. Oh, really? People, yes. People are afraid of putting oil on their skin and they think, oh, I'm going to break out and this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Mostly breakouts happen from the inside, not from the outside, unless you poison your skin. But um, fat is very important for your skin. And um, I learned that I was very lucky to work with a, an incredible group in Australia and they had a very treatment oriented line that came from France and um, they believed in the oils and not using scrubs and treating skin with respect and so I started working for them when I was 21 and I used their products until I made my own and I made my own because I can't get their products over here and people would always ask me what do you use 
and um, that's what I use. And so I have oil-based cleansers and um, oil-based treatment cream, uh, treatment oil. Believe in the oils. Where do we get these oils? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Linda's Natural Skincare. <laughs> Linda's Natural Skincare. Okay, that's what Actually, I'm doing Linda when I get on. NaturalSkincare.com. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. And I mean, obviously, that's what I use, and I've been using it for yeah. about five years now. And I'm very picky. I'm like the princess and the pea because you know I'm trained professional with skin from many yeah. years ago, and uh, so I know immediately when something's not right. I love it. I love that. I, I always like asking people that are experts in their field what they use for them. You know, like I asked my acupuncture for my horse, the Chinese medicine guy. I'm like, okay, where do you go for your acupuncture? There you you go. know, like when for my hair cellist, where do you get your hair done? You know that. <laughs> who does your teeth to my dentist? Uh, that, so, so that was that was like on my list. I'm like, I have to remember to ask. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, well, Linda, this has been so awesome. This is what I'm going to go to for my inspiration. I'm going to go back and listen to this a few times. And oh, you certainly left awesome. me with a lot of things I can sit and think on that are helping me, going to help me a lot with all the things that are going on in my life right now. And I'm sure that they're are going to help a lot of our listeners. So thank well, you. Thank you. So I much. feel very honored to be interviewed by you, Sinead. You're, <laughs> you're a big cheese yourself. So <laughs> thank you very much for thinking of me and giving me this opportunity. And Here's to happy horses and happy lives with them. Cheers. All right, Cheers, Linda. Cheers. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, too. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before you go, I just want to let you know more about Ride IQ. At its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that InStride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including half chats, conversations with coaches, and more. And lastly, I wanted to let you know that our friends over at Major League Eventing also have a podcast. And if you enjoyed this show, I think you would also really enjoy their show. Just search for the Major League Eventing podcast in your podcast app and give it a listen.